security used to be an afterthought like you would build your application and just when you're about to hit launch throw it over the fence to the security team but today you're basically developing a shared model of ownership when it comes to security welcome to the cio exchange podcast where we talk about what's working what's not and what's next i'm edean porter de leon this conversation is part of our lead forward series where we talk with technology leaders about the real stories behind the themes of innovation talent and experience in this episode we interview Ashish Kakran, principal of Tombest Ventures, to find out how his organization nurtures the future of technology and advancement by investing in companies to help them become leaders in their fields. We tackled the technology challenges related to multi-cloud, including infrastructure, security, and DevOps, and continually scaling workloads. We also delve into how chief security officers and CIOs are working to enable innovation without inhibiting application velocity or compromising their companies. So Ashish, when you have a convergence of cloud infrastructure and security and all the different, you know, two big topics, we're not going to cover them all today, but we're going to kind of talk about some of that, the convergence. Is security really the hardest thing when you're trying to address in an organization, scaling cloud infrastructure, scaling your hybrid infrastructure, scaling multi-cloud infrastructure, is security really that biggest thing? And is it, do you feel like it's it's not being addressed or people just can't wrap their head around it? What Where do you feel like that intersection is creating tension or issues or hurdles with organizations? I think as a security practitioner, if you really think about it, you have to be correct 100% of the time, but the hackers need to you to be wrong just once. Oh, so that's tough. How do you deal with that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so think about side. it, right? Like I'll, I'll go back to the SolarWinds hack. The, the the hackers were really patient. They added some code to your code base, and then they waited patiently for months. After that, they started like stealing data, and it was basically just by chance that one of the multi-factor authentication code went to an employee, which triggered an alert, and which led to investigation. It's kind of scary to think that there might be multiple search kind of supply chain issues that might be out there in the open, which we haven't caught yet. Now. So, so that's the challenge. When you think about the CISOs and CIOs, this is what you're dealing with. And when talking about multi-cloud, really let's think about where is the technology challenge coming from? One, the recent COVID basically accelerated the digital transformation. So what you're planning to do in the next four to five years, you had to, basically you had no choice and you had to wrap it up within a matter of year. And now your employees and your vendors are basically accessing your critical applications from coffee shops, shared workspaces, so you need to protect against that. The second one is, you know, when it comes to multi-cloud, there are dynamically scaling workloads. Back in the day, you would have, let's say, 50 virtual machines. Your job was to protect them. And it was a fairly, well, relatively easy job compared to what it is today. Today, you have containers, which are ephemeral in nature. You have Kubernetes clusters, and they're here today. And maybe end of the day, they're not there. So how do you protect against that? Because now your attack surface is, is massive. And the third part here is, you know, open source. A lot of your software developers are integrating libraries, hacking into those and integrating those. So if you're not careful with security, you are going to introduce new vulnerabilities in your code base. As a key decision maker, this is kind of my lay of the land. I'm dealing with this. On top of it, now think about regulation. I had a conversation recently with the CIO who you know, deals with over 20,000 applications. And one of the big things he said is, you know, I really care about security and regulation and compliance. So we have all heard about CCPA and GDPR, but that's not the end of it. Every state is drafting its regulation. European Union is drafting a new regulation for AI and machine learning. So you have to do things in a way that is compliant. And then I would also add from a technology point of view as a CISO, how are you going to enable kind of 
innovation at the speed of DevOps without inhibiting your applications and without compromising on on the quality of your security. I like that. I like the innovating so the speed challenge. of DevOps. And would you say DevSecOps? I know that's a whole other branch that we could go into, <laughs> but you really would you really just as be an advocate of the DevSecOps movement? Yes. So it's basically part of the shifting left trend overall. As a software developer, you're used to writing code. I've been a software developer. I would write code. I would check it to make sure that new features are working as expected. I'm not degrading the application with the new version. And security used to be an afterthought. Like you would build your application and just when you're about to hit launch, throw it over the fence to the security team. But today you're basically developing a shared model of ownership when it comes to security. So your DevOps team now works hand in hand with your security team. Your developers are basically writing code that is getting tested frequently. We're actually investors in a company called ShiftLeft, which enables you to check your code, whether it's custom written, whether it's open source library that you're integrating in your code base for vulnerabilities which are known, and uh, it's like 40, 50x faster than than competition. Right. So, yeah, I think that's actually a good point to, to pivot. And Ashish, you've got a great perspective of that convergence of security, of multi-cloud, cloud infrastructure, and DevOps, DevSecOps. What are you doing right now like in your work with you know the company you work with, the companies you invest in? Give me a sense of where you sit right now, and how, what's your view of the market, and what you do day in, day out? We are at Thomas, we are thesis driven investors. So we believe cybersecurity and cloud infrastructure are secular trends. And last couple of years, cybersecurity kind of has really taken off. But whether you look at the number of exits, IPOs, the, the pain point is massive. So the, the way it works is every three to four years, your, your technology stack is changing significantly. Like 10 years ago, you were building monolithic applications hosted on your private data centers. You were managing all of that infrastructure. It was a capital expenditure. Mm. Uh, the, those then are the good old days. We call them the good old days, Ashish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you will be surprised. Some of the like, mainframe computers, actually, a lot of them are still active when we talk to financial yeah. services. Do, are co uh, are COBOL coders still needed? Do we need COBOL coders out there still? On some of those, <laughs> well, I think if if you can code in COBOL, I think you have a kind of you have yeah, job security <laughs> today. <laughs> so going back, uh, you know, starting from that world, then you moved into a service-oriented architecture. VMware was a, a fundamental innovation which made it possible for you to virtualize your infrastructure. And then five years ago, uh, there was this big shift towards microservices, towards containers and Kubernetes. APIs became a thing. So every few years, this this ecosystem is changing. This is rapid. So organizations have to adapt to it. Following that is cybersecurity. As organizations keep making these changes, you have a larger attack surface that you need to protect against. And we think that is kind of a fundamental way a lot of great cybersecurity companies are created because there's great, great moments like this. Like now we are, we are living in one such world, like markets have changed, for example. And for cybersecurity founders, this might be a great way to great time to start something interesting. I'll also talk about data here a little bit. You know, when we're talking about these massive macro shifts, you know, applications, your networking has moved to the cloud, and then now storage is also in the cloud. Five years ago, there was a big talk about Hadoop and and services providers that were kind of making it easy for you to adopt Hadoop. And today the modern data stack has emerged to keep businesses agile and help them better store, manage, and get value of their data on the cloud. So whenever these big kind of macro changes happen, we see a massive opportunity for driven founders to create category creating companies. So we are investors. We are we have been fortunate to be investors in companies like Harness and Clary. Oh yes. And I would also like yeah. to add like if you, if you are 
listening to this podcast, if I can help in any way, you know, don't Excellent. I think out. this, you know, the show notes will have your contact information and we'll, we'll also do it at the end of the show to make sure everyone knows where to reach out to you. I think what fascinates me is that you're at sort of the cusp of all of these the problems converging, people understanding what the value prop is of solutions and understanding why they really need these things. And, and just before I get too deep in that, I want to just take a quick step back. Give me a sense of where do you feel like, like multi-cloud is? And where do you feel like that need is to have multi-cloud so you have that agility, so you have that scalability? Is it have to be hyperscalers? Can it be on-prem, off-prem? Where do you feel like people should really say this is how they should really think about multi-cloud? And this is why multi-cloud actually matters. This is what it will help you with. It will help you with time to market, helps you with you know compliance, regulation, all the things that you talked about. Maybe we could just take a quick step back and just say, what is multi-cloud in your mind? And what do you feel like the real advantage of that is for an organization to really affect the bottom line? So when we think about multi-cloud and hybrid cloud or agile, really it's coming out of the focus, maniacal focus on the customer. So I'll start like there. That. As, as you design, <laughs> you know, the best companies are obsessively customer focused. Customer is the center of all decision making and all product roadmaps basically emerge from these customer pain points. And then you start working backwards from that, you know, to solve these challenges at scale, the best companies today deploy code multiple times a day. And a few years ago, not too long ago, it was like once every six to nine months. So agile processes basically make it possible for you to ship delightful customer experiences at the speed of DevOps. Now, when you are in this kind of world, um, multi-cloud basically enables that transition for your organization. Multi-cloud, well, well, cloud is basically you're renting your cloud, uh, your storage, networking, and compute from someone else. Someone else is managing your core infrastructure in a data center somewhere. Now, these could be multiple hyperscalers. You may have your own private cloud that you manage. The best companies we have seen have a multi-cloud strategy because it helps them in a few different ways. And I'm going to highlight two or three of them, which are really, really critical. The first one is vendor lock-in. And I know we have <laughs> talked about this for a, for a very, very long time. Uh, yeah, you... it's always top of mind, but everyone's always trying to get their head around it. Well, okay, I want vendor lock-in, but I also want efficiency. And I want to leverage the skill set of the people that I've got working for me. And I don't want to have to hire a bunch of new people or learn a bunch of new skills or learn a bunch of new tool sets. Exactly. But maybe yeah. it's not, maybe that's not the trade-off anymore. Maybe that's a false trade-off. Yeah. And, I, and I'll tell you, like some of the smaller players that we talk to, vendor lock-in, they don't really care about it. It will be a surprise to you, but like as the size of the organization changes, vendor lock-in becomes a thing. But for mid-sized organizations where they want to move fast and, and not break things, you know, vendor lock-in, they don't really care <laughs> about it. I like that. Move fast. That'll be like the, the, the tagline for the episode. Move fast and don't break things. And, <laughs> yeah. If you are a cybersecurity expert, you cannot afford to break things. <laughs> yeah. so, so vendor lock-in is, is one key issue. The second one is, and sometimes it's talked about, is data gravity. Wherever your data lives, your ecosystem workflows, your applications develop around it. So if, if you have committed to one particular cloud, it will be very hard for you to move your data. So multi-cloud strategy basically helps you there because you, it makes that transition easier. For example, Snowflake is a company that initially really took off because of their multi-cloud support. Individual hyperscalers are not incentivized to kind of make it easy for you to move your applications and data around. The third reason really is resilience. If Amazon East goes down, you know, your application is down or slow, the revenue impact is immediate. You're going to see a customer churn. So you want some kind of backup. And that's where having a multi-cloud strategy really helps you because you can effectively deal with outages and, and have kind of your backup and recovery plans in place. Yeah. And what, what really gets me interested in that 
conversation is you want to have a backup. You want to have another cloud. You want to be able to either fail over or have multiple availability zones. How hard is it, especially from a security standpoint, from a logistics standpoint, is to have those multi-clouds work together and to be seamless? And is it apps in one cloud and other apps in another cloud, or is it apps across multiple clouds? And where are you seeing success there? Yeah, absolutely. It is challenging, <laughs> and and having a multi cloud strategy. These aren't these aren't easy problems. We're gonna we're gonna solve them today, Ashish. We're gonna we're gonna get this done. Yeah. So <laughs> we think kind of about these issues a lot, and um, our our investment philosophy. You know, our investments are an outcome of this process. So when you think about multi cloud, you may have an application that's broken down in multi tier application. You may have kind of your model view and controller, or you may have your application that talks to a database, which is kind of serving some kind of API. So Multiple architectures are possible. You want to basically design it for failover, resilience, and get cost benefit. Now, when you actually operationalize it, it's challenging because each cloud has its own complexity, its own type of instances you can be running, its own compliance and regulation that it comes with. It has its own bells and whistles. So if you as a software developer or as a key decision maker start kind of designing applications, it's it's challenging. If you want to build your CI/CD pipeline end-to-end, which is one that basically helps you accelerate your kind of code delivery and and delight your customers, it is going to be challenging. So that's where tools like Harness, which is kind of one of the companies that we have invested in, make it really easy for you. The way it works is you basically start with your CI or CD module, you drop it into the application, and the tools basically handle all of the underlying complexity. So you as an end user do not have to worry much about knowing the individual way the different clouds work. That complexity is abstracted, and now you can basically easily move your workloads around. So start with CIs, move to CD, and then along the way, you can keep adding modules. That could be your security module to make sure you're not introducing new vulnerabilities. Chaos engineering is another module that you can add to make sure that your application, when something goes down, can can recover. Chaos engineering is a term that was made really popular by Netflix, where intentionally you take part of your infrastructure know, down that and freaked, see That how freaked it a lot of people out. They're like, wait a minute, we want to break stuff on purpose. And so like things like Chaos Monkey and other things sort of came up here where you just throw something in your infrastructure. And it, see, it shows it where it could break, but it also shows how when it breaks, it fixes itself. And I think that's, I mean, it's a fascinating model. And, and so this all seems very focused kind of on the developer experience. And does that remove sort of a lot of the sort of onus on the sort of operations um, where you say, okay, because ultimately you just want to kind of remove sort of all the complexity away from developers. People who write code just want to write code. And ultimately, like, you know, we're talking about to deliver value, like you said, customers at the center of everything. We have a multi-cloud strategy. We've got you know, a secure CI/CD pipeline component so that developers can just delight customers and ideas can go from ideas to the market like in half the time or 10x faster or however you're, you're able to construct that too. And I think what's really the opportunity here, and you can give me your perspective on this is, is, is this something that's just, that's attainable for all companies? Should all companies be looking at, at this? And, and it should be just like, no, this is, this is going to be a competitive differentiator where you take all the things that the hyperscalers do and the management and security pieces, outsource that because that's not core to your business. Your core to your business is your ideas or taking advantage of new regulation or getting new sales opportunities into the market. Is that that shift? And do you see, do you see companies shifting to that? And you see multi-cloud just being more dominant in the future? Absolutely. I would say like organizations from of all sizes can benefit from this kind of strategy. And it's not just developers that are part of the puzzle now. You also have your DevOps engineers. And I think it's it's important to have this conversation. 
when you think about devops it's not just technology it's also culture it's also like the way kind of different teams work together so developers want to write code but once the code is written it has to be tested you have to deploy it in a certain way so that infrastructure can can manage it can scale with it and then you have to keep testing it in production for kind of deviation in performance you have to have observability logging tracing monitoring so if you have developers and you're they're writing code and if you leave them to manage all of that complexity yeah, you're going to have not, that's not a good developer experience right so if you have devops engineers working hand in hand with these developers think of kind of agile teams like two pizza teams like four or five developers working with two to three DevOps engineers working hand to hand. Like you said, two pizza teams, right? <laughs> not, not just one pizza. There needs to be two pizzas there. Two teams working together. Yeah. So, um, so there are multiple different ways you can structure your teams to to make sure that DevOps is actually successful. If you don't have this holistic view, there might be issues. And when you have kind of Dev and Ops working together, that, that's when the magic yeah. happens. I would I would also draw a parallel between kind of infrastructure and 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 data as well because. When you same problem happens in data, when you, when we talk about MLOps, for example, data scientists want to do their modeling. They want to make create models which are high accuracy, low false positive, low false negative. But I think it ends there. They don't care about shipping it to production. They don't care about monitoring it. And that's where you need your AI engineer, ops engineer. So ops piece, I think, is now their impact is kind of magnified when they work closely hand in hand with developers. What I think really fascinates me is that the component you're, you're leaning into it right now, which is we're talking about there's a purpose to all this. Multi-cloud, DevOps, DevSecOps, security, all this stuff has a purpose, and that is delighting your customers. And the pieces of that, I think, that you can take advantage of these hyperscalers or this multi-cloud environments you kind of touched on, which is, well, we're running code, but there's also opportunity for that AI ML to inform a lot of, or to build or train these models so that you can get more insights out of the data that you're talking about being housed in the cloud. You can create better experience for your customers. And kind of, since we're kind of moving to the area, can you describe how, now that we've got this multi-cloud, the secure multi-cloud CICD pipeline, great. We want to get these ideas out, but how do we get better ideas out? And how does AI and ML help increase that sort of delightful customer experience that ultimately is that goal? So when we really focus on customers, like, the, the reason is today, applications don't just support the business. Your application is the business. If your e-commerce app is down, the- Exactly. I love that. That is, that's a, it's a great perspective. So you're basically not working technology out. You're working use case in. So you don't start with, oh, I'm going to have a multi-cloud secure hybrid cloud strategy. You start with, where are my customers located? How can I best serve them? And then you work backwards from that. As a result of that, maybe multi-cloud is not the best strategy if, if you're users are located in a particular region who are basically subject to a particular type of compliance. Now, when we take that further and add data to the complexity, so data is massive, right? It's it's exploding across like volume, velocity, yeah. and variety. By the way, we talked yes. about the same three things when the Hadoop kind of innovation happened a few years ago. There are a few ways. And then one of the questions could be, yeah, is it the old wine, the new bottle? Well, I would push back against that a little bit because today the innovation is coming because of the move to the cloud. Organizations are now okay with keeping their data, which was traditionally kept in your private data centers, locked somewhere with limited authentication or authorization to different entities. Now you're okay with moving into the cloud. Well, as soon as you move data to the cloud, think about you have massive scale, massive kind of compute and, and storage available, and now you can use data to your advantage. How do you do that? 
I'll give you a specific a few specific example. Um, oil fields, for example, you may have a particular hardware sensor at each at each oil well, which basically tracks multiple metrics like your humidity, temperature, which is very very expensive. If you have a massive oil field with a with a few thousand oil oil wells. Or you can virtualize all of that and have a virtual meter, which basically takes your historical data from multiple actual physical meters. And now you can start creating prediction. And as soon as there is an anomaly, you generate an alert. Same thing in testing of planes, whether it's like large companies like Boeing and others. And in pure software as well, if you're an e-commerce player like eBay and others, what kind of recommendations are you generating? Where is an ad showing up on the dashboard? All of that is kind of being decided real time today. So there's a lot of historical analysis and there is a lot of predictive analysis. And when you have this massive of data, the same things that you kind of solve for cloud with DevOps, now you're kind of starting to solve with MLOps. Oh, I like that MLOps. So machine learning ops is that's that's the new dev SecOps is now MLOps. Is that a, is that a two pizza thing or is that one pizza? It, 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 it is a two pizza thing. And there are new kind of team structures evolving and we can talk about that. But really what I'm trying to say is like DevOps really made cloud adoption possible. Like a decade ago, there were questions whether cloud is real. Like, am I okay with letting go of some of the controls that I have when I'm managing my own on-prem infrastructure? And DevOps really made it possible for you to successfully adopt cloud and move your applications to the cloud, whether that's lift or shift or whether it's creation of new applications on the cloud. Today, organizations are struggling with operationalizing machine learning. There was a, a number that I saw from Gartner, like less than 50% of models that are successfully running on a... <laughs> on a data scientist machine actually make it to production. And MLOps is going to make it possible for you to kind of move those to production and successfully incorporate machine learning, deep learning in your application. So it's a fundamental shift. And uh, while right now it might seem uh, a little wild, wild west, we, we think some some great companies and will be created in this category. So what are you talking about? How there's an opportunity there for for you, you think you've got the technology there, you think you have in place, you've got a working model and you see like only, was it half actually make it into production? And that's like a massive opportunity if like, because you're, or it's really sort of a lost opportunity where you're losing a whole bunch of good predictive decision-making information turn into knowledge to, you know, actually make real decisions with. That then, you know, is being left on the table in, in part because what what probably is, is what gets me really excited is, is talking about that way that you organize teams to be able to actually accommodate and to execute and to operationalize a lot of these things. Because I think that's a lot of the missing pieces of, of some conversations because technology moves really, really fast. But I, there's, there's, a sort of, there's a framework where technology moves much faster than cultural technology. Like our cultural technology, which is the ways, the habits we have, the way we're formed, the way we're organized, the way we're incentivized, all those different pieces have to keep pace in order to actually execute uh, and and get and deliver on the value of these te technology pieces. So I, I'd love to because you you touched on this a few times, a few times. How do organizations really need to? And so those listening to this, what do they really need to start thinking about when they're working from that customer experience backwards to the technology, and then they're thinking about okay, I'm going to do this transformation, but how do I transform the people that are going to be doing this transformation? How do I make sure the cultural technology keeps up with? the other technology that I'm implementing. I would love to sort of get your perspectives on, on how, how technology leaders really need to make sure that that culture of technology keeps pace. That's, that's a great question and, and great segue into this discussion about culture. Let's start with maybe traditional selling. Like the way it worked was very top down. Like as a, as a vendor, I would reach out to your top decision makers and somehow like after spending two to three months, get a, get a meeting with your CIO 
you know, sign the deal. Okay. And then an email goes out. There is some training for my employees. And then at the end of the year, you know, adoption is low and, and there is churn. So that used to be the model back in the day. Today, organizations are enabling their developers to basically make their own decisions. What they do today is they sign up for self-service trial, free trial, and then the tool starts expanding inside the organization. One team adopts it, then another, and and lo and behold, all of a sudden, like most of your organizations are using this standardizing around the same kind of CI or CD tool or DevOps, DevSecOps tool. And as a CIO now, you have to kind of, or as a vendor, now you meet somewhere in the middle. First, there is a bottoms-up kind of adoption, developer-led, like maybe there's open source, maybe there's a freemium model. And then once you have delivered kind of critical features and, and value to the enterprise, now you can start having a reasonable conversation top-down. So really, it's a cultural shift where your developers are enabled to kind of do their own testing, experiment with new tools, and and pick the best of breed. So that's the that's the main thing, right? You you want the best of breed, whether it's CI, CD, or what kind of cloud. Maybe one cloud is heavily optimized for your data. One is heavily optimized for compute in a particular region. Those are some of the questions that people on the ground have the best visibility into. And then by enabling them, like maybe you create like separate infrastructure, like two to three months POC, where you provide them with some data, which may be a replica of your existing data, but they can run your, their tests, they can do, do machine learning, training on top of those, that, that particular infrastructure, they can run their security tests. And once all goes well, now you can have a meaningful conversation with the vendor. And taking it a step forward, when we look at the team structures, you have to have the optimal team structure because just technology is not going to solve your problem. Exactly. So I think that's missed sometimes look, in the conversation. It's like, well, it's, it's, well, yeah. it's new technology, but we, we need a new mindset and a new team structure. You, you, need, you need a new mindset for these initiatives to be successful. Otherwise, we're looking at unfortunate failures and, and lost opportunity. So when it comes to data, for example, there's a new team that is, that is evolving, which is the central platform team which is made of data engineers. A lot of these engineers basically deal with your data warehouses, data lakes, lake houses, all of those tools that touch the data, but your end users, which are who are the consumers of that data, whether it's your product teams, whether it's your sales and marketing teams, they don't really care about. Then that platform team that interacts with either the BI team, if you're talking about the historical analysis, really understanding what happened with our customers, where is the churn coming from, or they're serving the data science teams. And these are core PhDs who have deep expertise in building the best performing machine learning models that, that can scale. And then that data and those ML models then get fed into your product to efficiently serve your customers. When it comes to kind of enabling these teams, like the, the budgeting becomes important as well. <laughs> so by by enabling your, let's say, sales team to have to hire a, a data scientist to solve problems just for the sales and uh, sales team. And then that team that works with your central platform team, which basically reports to your chief data officer or CIO, they have their own budget. This is how you can create kind of an optimal structure. So every team is empowered. There is no blocker in kind of communication and collaboration between different teams. And when you have a kind of organizational structure like that, I think technology adoption becomes easier because individuals are empowered to make those decisions. Yeah. In addition to being empowered, I think is great because that's one, I think, a critical part. So you're not, like you're saying, create blockers. What, where would you say shared goals, metrics, and KPIs would start to fit in where when teams start to share the same 
metrics like hey look at i don't i have my i don't have my different qbrs or my different slides or in different metrics and we're all and we're now competing against each other because we're optimizing to you know to make sure those metrics go up do you see a place where if those metrics and kpis are shared between teams now you have aligned incentives and you have people really working together on things because they're both basically in the same boat Absolutely. So there are some standard kind of KPIs emerging when you think about DevOps, for example. There is a term called DORA metrics, which is basically like mean time to resolution. How quickly can your system come up and running if it is down or slow? Your your time to delivery, time to value. Those are the three or four core metrics. But again, I'll go back to the customer delight part. Start with the net promoter score. Like, are your customers talking positively about your products and telling others to go check out whatever you're you're doing? And if your NPS score is high or, or low and trending positive over time, you're doing something right. You know, that could be a starting point. And then you optimize for individual teams and their KPIs. No, I think that's fantastic. And if teams that are like usually just building and testing and optimizing, if they're now tying what they're doing to an actual score that represents how well these customers are receiving the products. I think that's just fabulous. And then then that changes the way that they optimize for the inputs that then, you know, ultimately result in that, you know, and that score. I think that's that that's a fantastic way to connect those two. Absolutely. I think if your customers are happy, they're delighted, you have advantage over anyone else. And after that, I think technology can be an afterthought in a way. If your customers are happy, <laughs> you don't need yeah, to change your strategy. You <laughs> Whatever you works for your customers, if they're excited, they are kind of renewing their contracts. I think you're you're in a good shape, unless kind of something really fundamental changes in the technology in kind of two to three years down the line. And that's something the key decision makers have to be really aware of. Like our conversations with with the CIOs, really their focus is, hey, I don't want to invest millions of dollars on a tool that may be redundant in the next two to three years. I want to see what's coming down the pipe. What are the latest innovations in technology? Yeah. And I think that's actually a, a really great point to sort of to, to dive into because when you're talking to a CIO and they're like, I don't want to spend X millions of dollars on this particular tool. There's also the conversation of, I don't want to spend X you know, time and energy and resources reorganizing my team to execute around a particular technology if I don't maybe have full visibility, confidence, there's that hesitance as well. So maybe you can kind of, we can talk through why a technology leader is hesitant to reorganize a team because it sounds great, great. We're gonna have two pizzas or we're gonna have these teams have shared KPIs and we're gonna reorganize this and we're gonna transform the way that culture works and incentives are worked, but that's, there's risk. At first you start saying reorganize, that's, there's risk involved and that's risk with the technology may be shifting. That's risk with, you know, the team skills maybe not aligning. And what, what are your conversations with, you know, executives around that risk of, yeah, I know you tell me I have to reorganize and do all these things, but but I'm hesitant because of because of these reasons. What are those those headwinds that you're seeing that are stopping companies from doing it? Let's talk about the CIOs themselves. You'll see a few CIOs who are basically open to using the cutting edge, latest and greatest kind of technologies. They are open to taking risk and they have kept part of their budgets assigned to kind of spend on latest and greatest technologies in startups. Then there are some and and who focus on basically checkboxes, right? Where innovation is an afterthought and it's more like, I want to make sure my applications are up and running, my infrastructure and workflows, they are not massively disrupted by something that I'm doing. What we've seen is over time, the careers of CIOs and CISOs who make bets on early stage companies that really take off, 
their careers grow with them. And those are the transformational leaders. And they are basically leading the cutting edge technology companies that you see out there today. I'll give you one specific example. Same thing is happening even in financial services industry. Traditionally, we know like low risk um, yeah. infrastructure is, is yeah. really ancient. Move slow, By the way, long, move slow and don't break things. Move slow. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I directly experienced it because I used to be a software developer. We built and shipped an application a long time ago to Federal Reserve Bank. And their feedback was, well, the app doesn't work. And we're like, well, we have tested it on all versions of the browser everywhere. It, it works fine. And we learned they were using Internet Explorer 6. <laughs> so now we had to go back and re-architect uh, the application, yeah. made it work. But even there, this this change is happening because it's basically the situation is transform or die in, in, in many, many of these cases. If you look at Capital One, cloud first, entirely on cloud. If you look at some of the larger players, and I wouldn't like to name names here, but in, in one case, they spend a few years, millions of dollars to oper- operationalize machine learning. Then they hire a new head of AI. And in a matter of six to nine months, it's in production because they're using cloud. And certainly it's a mindset shift for the organization. The hesitance basically kind of got out of the way because of the value that you see in delighting your customers and moving fast. So so yes, there can be some hesitance because when you're leading your organization, which is like 3,000, 5,000 people strong, change change can be hard to execute. But, the, but we have seen the best ones are kind of early adopters of cutting edge technologies. And when they see the value, whether it's in terms of time of delivery, cost, or more efficient kind of workforce, those conversations are relatively easier about change at that point. Yeah, I know. Because you have to convince those, you know, from the board all the way down that, hey, this change is going to be, it's going to be accretive. It's going to be valuable for long-term. Um, and those are those are tough conversations to have. And so one of the key things is, you know, that a lot of executive uh, across the board, not just technology leaders, is communication is so incredibly critical and being able to tell effective stories and being able to describe the value of something from a business perspective when you're asking people who can't even really wrap their head around, you know, can't stay, they can't spell Kubernetes, but they're going to write you a really big check and you're going to convince them that this is going to be what's going to delight the customers and make you guys the next billion dollars. And uh, and I imagine that's that's a tough, but but being able to tell those powerful stories and, and convince people is one of those those key critical things. I'll actually add a little bit here because boards are now kind of coming down heavily on CISOs. Like simple question, like, are we more secure than last year? It's a very <laughs> hard thing to answer that, that because my infrastructure has changed. My team has changed. Yeah. How do I answer that question? So now I need all of these tools that basically collect metrics from other security tools that I'm using so that there is some dashboard which shows like last year to this year, there is, there's some kind of, positive trending thing that is going on but it's not like you just now have a seat at at the table it's not like you just flip a bit where it's like there's that one line of code where it's like secure equals yes and then and then you're done great i've got (laughs) yeah that's my line i just i see did you see it says secure (laughs) equals yes here it's that's that's secure and and yeah it is it is uh, that's interesting that you pointed out though that you know cso's have a seat at the table because it is it's a it's tough because a lot of times it's, um, you know, they'll look at this as like uh, insurance policies, like, great, I wanna, we wanna be able to get this half time to market for applications and beat out the competition because we wanna be able to get, you know, delight our customers and, and be faster, but we wanna do it secure. It's like, okay, how, how secure? And then almost then it starts to be like, great, we're doing multi-cloud, we're doing all this great stuff, but how secure can we be? Do we have to be, can we get away with? 
And I think that's, you think that's a, that sounds like that's a dangerous mindset to be in like, you know, sort of that gray area or that sliding scale of security versus agility. And I think that seems like more and more, it seems to be that's a false trade-off. The companies don't need to think about slowing down and being secure or slowing down to be secure. Is that the way you're, you're seeing it happen now? And maybe that, and then there's been a shift. Is that, is that shift or is there still something there to that? Yeah, no, I think that that trade-off does exist. For example, if your developers want to spin up a Kubernetes clusters, do you enable them to do that? Or do they need to wait for the right permissions from the right security teams before they're able, even able to spin up some cluster somewhere in the cloud? Um, I know they just want to spin it up. They just want to swipe a card and spin that, <laughs> spin up the cluster and say, look it, we made this work. Yeah, but but as a security leader, really like you want, and, and I, I was recently listening to a podcast and it basically talked about how security should be thought of as a profit center and not as a as a cost center. Oh, I like that. So one of my good friends is a- I think, that would be great. A, I think everyone wants to figure out how to do that. How do, how, do, how do leaders do that? How do they turn a security into a profit center? Right. And I think the first question that this the CISO leader and is a good friend of mine, the, the ex-CISO of Levi's, his first question to any vendor is basically, don't sell me your product. Don't sell me what you do. Tell me how are you going to help me sell more jeans? And <laughs> then the conversation just completely uh, changes. A lot of right? people scratch their heads at first. They're like, oh, jeans. We don't know how to sell jeans. <laughs> right. But it's it's a mind, mindset shift. Yeah. Um, I think security leaders are innovative. CISOs, CIOs, CISOs are innovative. And we are seeing just as the infrastructure that the tech, on the technology side is changing, they are also rapidly adapting to, to make sure that their workforce is, is able to handle all of that complexity. All right. Well, just to kind of one of those things that we, I think we covered, we usually have a, a section where we talk about the board and we, we, I think we've already covered that. Um, what do you think is is working right now that companies really need to invest more and they need to lean in more? And what do they need to stop doing so that they can you know, achieve a lot of the stuff that, you know, multi-cloud, AI, ML, agility, CICD, DevSecOps, uh, how, to realize all of that, what should they start doing or keep doing or what should they stop? So I would say like in terms of keep doing, the the first one is open source. I think we are big believers in in open source because when a community comes together, it's a really sticky kind of product that you can create. the The value that you deliver to your enterprises it it grows significantly with the with the community adoption. So there might be some hesitance in in using open source technology, but I think when used correctly, when when you put the security controls in place, it can be a enabler for your your company as you as you build and ship products to your customers. And is that just to be so? We have oh, made, sorry, just to be clear, is that rolling your own and running you know open source, or is that having somebody else run that open source for you? Great question. I would say a combination of both. So you want to be a contributor to an open source community. You don't have to open source your own core projects. But if there is an open source project that you're adopting, give back. And I think community appreciates and accepts that. And 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 then kind of, it, it acts as a magnifier for your organization. So open source, I think, is a key enabler. So if you if you have questions about it, I think those minds, mindset need, needs to be changed because developers are basically shifted towards this now. They they use open source libraries, they hack into those, they, they fork them and create their own products to delight their customers. So that's one. The second one I would say is shifting left, which is the shared model of security. So that at every step of creation of this software, you're thinking about security and security is not an afterthought. So now you're thinking about your engineers, your DevOps engineers and security practitioners working in collaboration in a continuous kind of DevOps loop so that you're not shocked at the end of the release cycle, oh, something went wrong. 
you are basically testing for those vulnerabilities at each step of the process when your your code is getting built. And finally, I would say the DevOps CI/CD is a secular trend. It gives you advantage long term if you can ship code that delights your customer multiple times a day. You're already ahead of your customers. So if you haven't invested in that already, um, which which I think that that number is pretty small. Either organizations are already on that train or they are experimenting as we speak right now. So those are the two or three things I think that can really help organizations stay ahead of the of the competition and, and delight their yeah, customers. Yeah, and, and to finalize it, there's anything that you're saying that people should just stop doing. They're like, they're doing this, you need to stop, whether that's waterfall or mainframes, all of that, all of the things, but no, but but seriously, we're like, we're the key things that, that are continuing to be entrenched that you feel like really need to stop yep. stopping a part of uh, the way they're organized. Yeah, it's great that you point out waterfall because I don't see a lot of waterfall anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> or it that's may good. be because of a sampling bias because of the type of companies and people we, we speak with. So yes, if you are using waterfall, if at the end of this massive software development cycle, if you're not taking inputs from your customers at a regular cadence, I, I think that that mindset needs to change. And I would highly recommend agile kind of DevOps way of building software. You know, some people fall into the agile fall category. They're like, they feel like they're being agile, but really it's like you said, they're not taking those inputs throughout that process. And, and then they're ending up with something that's oh. not quite this white <laughs> that they, they think they're just, they're just increasing their backlog at an exponential rate. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. You don't want to do that. You don't want to not do waterfall or not do agile properly either. And I see organizations do some version of a combination of those two. And that's a recipe for disaster in, in some of these situations. So I would say like, if you are doing agile, do it right, go all in, build your DevOps team, design your culture around it so that you can ship with confidence with minimum vulnerabilities. See security, like it will never be like a situation of 100% secure. I think you're more worried about if there's a breach that happens, how can I quickly get back up and running? So that could be an interesting mindset when you are shipping, shipping Excellent. the tool. Well, Ashish, it's been fantastic talking with you today. Give the listeners the uh, um, understanding. Where can they find you? Um, where can they hear more about you, what you're doing, and, and where, where they can reach out to you at? Yeah, absolutely. So um, like I said, I'm an investor at Thomas Ventures. I love working with technical founders who are solving key problems in cybersecurity, cloud, and data infrastructure. We have been fortunate to have back category-defining companies like Harness, Clary. More recently, I invested in uh, companies like Opaque, which is in the confidential computing space that makes it really easy for you to do machine learning and analytics on top of encrypted data. And Isovalent is another one of our companies, which is basically disrupting the distributed networking market. It's bringing together networking, observability, and security. So most of these companies have some notion of open source. So if you are building something amazing, or even if not, you're you're in the brainstorming phase, feel free to reach out to me over, over LinkedIn. I'm easily accessible. And I try to be very, very responsive to founders because I've been in your shoes. I understand how hard it is to, to build a company. I can empathize with the challenges that you're facing and I'll try to be responsive when you reach out. Excellent. Well, Ashish, uh, thank you for joining the CIO Exchange podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Adin. Thank you for listening to this latest episode. Please consider subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more insights from technology leaders, as well as global research on key topics, visit vmware.com slash CIO.